Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, and it's another beautiful day in beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Uh, actually, it's a typical Northwest day. It's beautiful for winter. At least it's not flooding yet, and the temperatures are above freezing, which um for Oregon in, in February, that's a beautiful day. In fact, it's been warm enough here that, that last week I started hearing the spring peepers out in the evening, which generally means that uh, spring is shortly behind and, and I'm seeing buds on a lot of the uh, plants around around the yard here. So I'm looking forward to it. It's time for me to try and get some peas in the ground for my garden and uh, Looking forward to longer days and and being outside a bit more because sure starting to get in that cabin fever this winter. Uh, it's been a pretty tough one for us here out in the Northwest. So today's show is a free-for-all show again. Uh, kind of had back-to-back guests for a couple weeks, and now I'm doing a couple free-for-all shows back-to-back because it gives you guys a chance to call in and steer the topic of conversation and if you want to talk to me uh your west lane county commissioner and we can talk about everything from county commission stuff to what's going on in your little town to what's happening in salem and dc uh give me a call at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets robin my producer know you want to get in on the conversation we'll get you lined up to talk here on KRBN Talk Radio, and we can you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net, and that's another good way to get in on the show. So the last week or so, I've spent a lot of time driving up and down I-5. Uh, you know, Elmira is about an hour and a half to, to the Capitol, from my house to the Capitol, or from the county office building to the Capitol. And I've been in Salem three times in the last week, and I'm going to be in Salem tomorrow and the next day all day. Uh, So I've kind of got Salem on my mind. Uh, And it's it's frustrating and um, amazing what goes on when our legislature's in session. And when we're in these these, um, every other year, long sessions. We've gone to annual sessions. I wish I kind of wish we hadn't done that because it just means that now that there's every year I have to go up there and play defense a lot. And I, I tell you, 90% of my time in Salem is playing defense, just trying to keep the legislature from harming the citizens of Lane County instead of what they're doing might actually help. And um, it, this year has been particularly frustrating. For those of you that might be from outside of Oregon and don't know this, and some of you inside of Oregon might not know this, because all you hear about is there's this big shortfall in the state budget. Well, one of the things they don't really tell you is the state of Oregon has record revenues this biennium. 
is projected to have a record amount of money, more money than they've ever had available to spend. And in fact, in their general and lottery funds, it's going to be $1.3 billion more than the last biennium, which they had 18-something billion dollars. So when you think about that, almost 10%, somewhere about 8 to 10% more money over the last budget cycle. And there's all you hear about is the fact that they're $1.8 billion short. Well, that's because they did things a couple of years ago, in fact, about four years ago, of expanding programs and all that with no idea how they were going to pay for them in the long run. And, and the bill is coming due this biennium for things like the Affordable Care Act expansions they took on, knowing that the federal government was only going to subsidize the first two years of that expansion and with no plan on how they're going to pay for it in the third year, let alone what they're going to do in the fourth year when the subsidy goes to almost zero. Um, you know, so the, the $1.8 billion deficit, this biennium is going to look more like um, 2.5 in the following biennium, even though we've got all so much more money coming into the government, we're that far short because they, they, wildly expanded programs, hired all sorts of new state employees um, with no plan how they're going to pay for it. And it's just incredibly frustrating to hear them talk about how they're short money. $1.2 billion of that deficit is purely due to the expansion of the Affordable Care Act in Oregon and, and the lack of planning to how to pay for that. The re Just about the rest of that is the uh, ever-expanding problem we're having with our public employees' retirement system here in Oregon, you know, accounts for almost all the rest of that deficit. And, and when you say deficit, it's how much more they want to spend to continue the current level of service of all these programs, including funding um, the public employees' retirements um, over the record revenues that we're getting this year. The one thing you never hear them talk about is what they're doing to cut costs to try and see if they can line the expenses up with the revenues. You know, it's frustrating for me as a county commissioner because we actually had real cuts in our in our revenues. The federal government stopped uh, their timber replacement um, payments to the counties. They first did a taper down and then completely stopped them a couple years ago to where we're getting 93% less money from the federal government than we got back in 2001. And it's real dollar cuts. You know, the first year I came on the board, we went from a $600 million all funds budget to a $480 million all funds budget, a 20% reduction in real dollars. Now we did end up having to cut some services out, but we did everything we could to protect really the critical services to our citizens while doing everything we could do to cut the cost of those services so we could provide more with less. And we've done things over the last um, seven years in Lane County, six and a half years that I've been a commissioner, from restructuring how we were organized to um, renegotiating our health insurance benefits with our employees to going to a self-insured uh, health insurance system, 
to uh, an early retirement plan for some of our employees that saved a bunch of money, you know, because you kind of get them to retire early at a lower cost and you and you replace those employees with people that are further down on the experience level. So they're on a lower step in the wages. So it kind of saves money in two ways. We've been doing that for the last six and a half years because every year I've been a commissioner, we've actually had real dollars less in our budget. Um, that we've been able to deal with and having to try and compress, um, trying to provide the same amount of services on less money. And, and we've been doing that by controlling our costs. Yet, you never hear the state government control costs. In fact, if, if you hear anything, it's all about how they're spending more money and, and hiring more people. You know, I, there's, there is a I heard somebody on, and I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due, on Lars Larson's show today. He was interviewing a gentleman that had done a study about the difference between Illinois, New York, and Oregon in how many people are actually employed in the attorney general's office compared to the population of those states. And Oregon actually has more people in our attorney general's office than the state of Illinois does. Think about the population of Illinois that contains Chicago compared to the population of Oregon. <clears throat> Do you think we've made any attempt in Oregon to control the cost of government, state government, that is? Local governments had to deal with this for years. <clears throat> and the, you think the way that the state um, you know, legislature and and the public employees for the state and the and the administration there complain like stuck pigs that they have been dealing with it for years, but they haven't felt any pain yet on the cost side of things on expenditures. They're trying to make all the pain on um, the taxpayers and the services that you know they're going to stop providing services. Um, it so it's really frustrating to spend time in Salem because that's kind of the background. You know, here I am a county commissioner and I've had to deal with my shrinking budgets, but the state doesn't seem to be dealing with it. So I'm up there um, testifying in various hearings and all that stuff. In fact, I was testifying on in a piece of the public safety budget where the governor and the, the co-chairs, which they both present separate budget plans, have basically um, said we're not going to fully fund uh, all of the public safety departments. Uh, you guys all have to take a real dollar cut. Meanwhile, they actually gave a 9% increase to the education budget because, well, lo and behold, who are the biggest contributors to the Democrat caucus and our governor and attorney general? It's the Oregon Association of Educators. Yes, the teachers' unions, that's who gives to them. So guess what their budget does versus the, the public safety that has real impact to your everyday lives here in Oregon and has already been cut to smithereens in the past 20 or 30 years. Our Oregon State Police used to be 600 troopers in this state about 20 years ago. It's now 300. Mind you, the number of people that have driver's licenses and drive in the states increased significantly, and the number of vehicle miles driven has gone up. 
At the same time, we've reduced the state police, and the state police budget actually closes one of our crime labs out in eastern Oregon, which is going to make it really difficult to get crime scene investigation in Burns or somewhere out in the middle of nowhere out there because they're going to have to bring people over from the Willamette Valley. And then in addition to that, it also severely cut the narcotics investigation teams, um, which in some of the counties that have been so severely cut with the timber money, like Josephine County, those uh, teams are actually serve almost as the major crimes investigation teams because almost all the major crimes down there also have some drug involvement so they can kind of bring the state police in to help them investigate because they have almost no sheriff's department down there because of the lack of timber money. And it's just insane that, that those departments that have already been shredded in past budgets are now having to take additional cuts. So I was up there this week trying to testify to hold some of those departments harmless. And particularly, I was up there testifying about the Department of Public Safety Standards and Training, which is basically the organization that trains every police officer in the state of Oregon. They have centralized training in the state, which is kind of a good thing because um, it some little small municipality like Coburg, Oregon, doesn't have to develop their own training programs. They can they can attach to that state program. The state program big enough and large enough to always be innovating and bringing in new new methods. Um, of policing and better training for police officers. So we've actually got really good training for police officers in this state. The problem is, is it's getting to the point where as we're, we're going through this silver wave of retirements that we're having to recruit a lot of new police officers. And if they cut the budget there, we may not be able to get those new officers into classes in time. And they, they, uh, basically won't end up in the field. And it, it, it's really uh, kind of a crisis. They're doing the cuts to this training department with the background that you've got all these protests going on across the country um, last fall about police behavior and police training and use of force and interactions with minority communities. What? You know, the people that are proposing these cuts are the people that were speaking in front of those rallies, the Democrats. Where you know, There's a cognitive dissonance in there about cutting the training for police officers while at the same time attending rallies about police misconduct. You know, it's just, it's just amazing to me. So, you know, I, you can tell I'm pretty cranked up about the... Uh, the legislature, you know, it, it's it's kind of, you know, I, I always heave a huge sigh of relief whenever they adjourn for the, for the year because at least I feel like we're not in danger anymore. But when they're in session, it just is incredibly um, frustrating and you feel like at any moment they're going to pass on some piece of legislation that's just going to make my job as a commissioner a lot more difficult. It's going to make, it's going to hurt our state's economy. It's going to hurt our citizens. And I just, you know, you kind of live in, in this state of constant anxiety uh, while the legislature's in, in, in session. 
But, you know, this is a free-for-all day, and we don't have to keep talking about the legislature because I'm going to get into some detail here in a minute if I don't get a phone call from somebody that wants to talk about something else or, or even the legislature or have, have something they want to talk about with the legislature. But you can get in and talk to me by dialing 646-721-9887 here at the Bo's Nose Show and just press 1. That lets Robin, my call screener, know you want to get in on a conversation and, uh, you know, it should be a conversation. I do these shows so I can um, talk to the folks in Lane County or anyone else that wants to call in because I know the Internet is worldwide. That's why it's the World Wide Web. That's what that WWW stands for. Um, and uh, so even folks outside of Lane County might be interested in some of this stuff. You might be somebody else who lives in Oregon or you just might be somebody else uh, you know, I talked to somebody from South Africa one time on this show. So uh, give us a call, and we can you can steer the conversation. That's what my free-for-all days mean. It's it's your show, really. Uh, but seeing that we uh, aren't getting a call right now, maybe we'll get into some of this uh, craziness at the legislature. One of the things I participate with is the Association of Oregon Counties, and that allows all of us uh, – 36 counties to get together and hire some staff and have staff that can look into some of these bills and we meet in various committees and uh, I actually chair uh, the public safety committee but I'm, I'm a member of a committee called the governance steering committee and it would sound like a really boring committee to be on to talk about governance but it's actually one of the most active and detailed committees we have because it covers everything from uh, business licensing to taxation methods to uh, contract law uh, to you know how you know statutes that might control county um, governance to public records law a huge uh, wide ranging um, scope when you talk about governance because what governance actually is you know, can cover a wide range. And uh, our meeting on, you know, that we had our committee meeting on Monday uh, could have gone on for three hours as we went through some of these bills. And uh, it, it started out talking about marijuana, which has been a favorite uh, cannabis and mar- or, or marijuana, uh, which has been a you know, big topic here in Oregon as we've legalized both uh, medical and now we've legalized recreational, and we're starting to realize some of the makes, mistakes we made in our regulatory framework and our in our taxation framework in that. And uh, you know some of the bills that are floating around about that. There's you know four different bills that are floating around alone just about trying to consolidate who does the licensing for recreational and medical. Right now, the Oregon Health Authority is doing the medical side, and the Oregon Liquor Control Commission is doing the recreational side. And um, the Oregon Health Authority got the job of doing the medical side, but got no real money from the legislature to run it. So they're extremely understaffed, and the medical side is, you know, very poorly um, regulated, you know, that as far as making sure that the people that actually have permits to sell the medical side are adhering to their permits. Um, 
to the point where if I get a complaint about a marijuana grow, uh, you know, next door neighbor that's you know complaining about how bad it smells and the amount of traffic and the lighting is shining in their yard, and I find out it's a medical grow, I have to kind of call the people back and go, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. You can call the Oregon Health Authority, but, you know, that that when the legislature passed medical marijuana, they didn't give a lot of local control at all. And they gave most of the authority over to OHA and OHA has no staff to follow up on complaints. Uh, and it's a really sad situation. And I think people finally realize that a lot of the legislatures. So they're looking at consolidating um, medical under the same authority as, as the recreational and probably putting it under OLCC. Um, but, you know, so there's a bunch of bills around that, and they all have their nuances, and some are better than others, but have to try and keep an eye on that because they could make a really big mistake, like moving the, the recreational back under OHA, which would just be hideously uh, wrong direction to go. Um, and then, you know, they're trying to rewrite some of the, the medical, um, the, the marijuana offense codes to try and make possession, you know, a lower criminal penalty in this state, which it, almost nobody ever gets arrested for possession of marijuana anymore, uh, unless you've got dealer quantity amounts on you. Um, and it's part of some other investigation. Uh, you know, I talked to my sheriff's department, they, they basically write tickets for possession. If you're over the, the individual limits, you kind of just get a traffic ticket. It's not even handled as, as criminally, but I, so I don't know why there's an effort to rewrite the marijuana offenses too much, other than there's a push by one particular senator to make um, recreational use off hours not a fireable offense for employers, which I don't think he's going to be able to get constitutionally. I'm hoping that never has legs. But as an employer, Lane County, uh, that takes federal grants, um, we have to be able to fire somebody if they test positive because we have federal laws that we agree to adhere to because we take a lot of federal money. Over half our budget comes from the federal government, which is not, we can get into a whole other conversation about um, where government should be run from, local versus federal. Uh, and I would say it should be, our budget should be almost no money from the federal government, it should all be local. Um, that's a whole nother conversation, but there is a law that says we have to have a drug-free workplace. And as part of that, if somebody tests positive for a federally controlled substance, which marijuana is still illegal under the federal government, we have to discharge that employee. And, uh, that it's one of those, um, zero tolerance sort of rules. And if this one Senator, uh, gets his way, we would, uh, have to keep that employee on and be in violation of the federal law and and possibly lose over half of our funding with the federal government so it, it's uh it's not really uh, a great thing to be kind of tinkering with that portion i think it will also have great impacts for folks uh that might uh want to uh limit you know it's really hard to tell when somebody tests positive, you know, whether they were actually uh, affected by the marijuana while in the workplace. And there's some things you just don't want to even have the shade of somebody being affected because of the legal liabilities for an employer. 
of having an employee say that's operating a forklift in Costco where there's people around and uh, accidentally, you know, injures somebody with a forklift and they find out that he tested positive for marijuana but wasn't fired and uh, might have been intoxicated while operating that forklift, guess who gets sued? It's not the employee, it's going to be Costco, you know? So, um, it, you know, I, I, I believe that the employers should be able to make that decision as to whether, you know, depending on what the person's job duties are, uh, whether or not off-duty use can be a fireable offense. Um, you know, and yeah, so there's various marijuana bills that are going around. One of the more important ones to me in Lane County is to try and redistribute the taxation of marijuana uh, when Measure uh, 91 was passed and legalized recreational marijuana, it put 40% of it into the common school fund, which was a selling point to get votes. It's going to it's going to help the kids. You know, the problem is that the common school fund is is basically an investment fund, and all you get out of that is the interest on that 40% that's going in there. And of course, the Marijuana taxes have been maybe $60 million. The interest on 40% of $60 million is going to be just a few hundred thousand. The school budget is in the billions of dollars. It doesn't really help make a difference in even a, a tenth of a percent of the school budget. So putting all that money there, when it, that's not where the impact of recreational marijuana is. The impact is more on county and city um, police programs, court systems, or uh, land use systems, because we're, I can't tell you how much of my land use complaints that are going through our system are related to marijuana right now, and um, also our addiction treatment and drug education programs that we run. And uh, having maybe some of that 40% trimmed down a bit and redistributed back to cities and counties is an important thing we're working on um, through also the Association of Counties and also the League of Oregon Cities is working on that. And there's a few land use bills going where they're trying to make it take away local control of some of the land use and uh, basically make it a use by right in rural residential areas. And I tell you, because of the amount of complaints I have already about marijuana in rural residential areas, I, I really oppose uh, trying to to make that such an easy thing to do without um, having local control over that. It's it's not exactly a a, um, a a use that fits in that zone. So you know that kind of covers marijuana, which was just the first of about nine topics we went over in in governance. Uh, so you can tell that you can get pretty deep in the weeds because they have thousands of bills that are floating around Salem right now that we have to sort and weed through and try and see how is this gonna help or harm Lane County? Is it good or bad? Um, should we, you know, does, is it a frivolous bill that was put in by a very junior member of the minority caucus that was going absolutely nowhere? Or is it a bill that was put in by a very influential person or the governor or some committee and is secretly backed by some very powerful people you know, which ones have legs, which ones don't, which ones are going to hurt, which ones are going to help. Uh, it's a it's a monumental task to tra track what's going up 
going on up there. And what I, I, I stealing this from somebody else, what is referred to as the marble nut house um, in Salem. And it is just incredible. So you've got the Bo's Nose Show, and I'm rambling on about Salem right now because I'm spending a lot of time in Salem. But this is a free-for-all day, so if you want to get in on the conversation and steer the conversation or have a question or a comment, uh, just press dot, first dial 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener, know that you've got a question, and we'll get right to you and try and get you on air here and have a conversation because that's why I do this show, to have a conversation. So moving on in, in Salem, you know, there are all sorts of crazy things going on. I, 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 you know, taxation is one of the big things that's going on up there. And there's been some pretty interesting things going on when it comes to taxation. Probably the one that's made the news, but has actually got no legs, really, um, was a placeholder bill that was thrown in there that would put a $1,000 tax every five years if you owned a vehicle that was 20 years or older, uh, you know, which I basically call it the grandpa tax. Because <laughs> you, you know how some of your, 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 your grandparents were. They held on to those cars forever because they only put about 1,000 miles a year on their cars. So they had these pristine cars that were 20 years old or something like that. And, you know, they're usually on fixed incomes and stuff, you know, but I, I, I don't know what the, the aim of that bill was, if it was an attempt to try and get older, more polluting cars off the road or something, but it sure seemed like it was going to be punitive towards elderly people and people with low incomes that were buying older used vehicles because that's all they could afford. And uh, it just seemed like a, one of the most tone deaf bills I've seen put forward in Salem. Uh, in a long time, but uh, it, it, they're, they're looking to grab taxes anywhere and everywhere. Like, you know, I started out at the beginning of the show talking about the uh, supposed $1.8 billion shortfall, even though they've got $1.3 billion more than they had last biennium to spend. Um, they're going to be trying to suck that money out of every crevice they can. Uh, you know, your couch cushions are not safe right now when Salem is in session and uh, they've got a whole bunch of taxation bills out there and a lot of them have to deal with property taxation. And, you know, and it's kind of crazy because they go both directions in some ways. They're always trying to score points with various constituencies, some of the legislators. So they'll write these bills that, that, you know, at the same time they're trying to suck money out of every crack in your, your couch they're also trying to give it away in these tax exemptions to various special interest groups. And there are a bunch of bills floating around up there that are, that are trying to um, give uh, property tax limits on what they call homesteads of seniors living on fixed incomes. And, you know, homesteads is qualified in these bills as, you know, being, pro you know, they've held the property a certain number of years or whatever. And this is, Above and beyond, there's already a program where seniors can have their property taxes deferred for life if they apply for it and have that 
tax bill build up and then gets paid when they pass on and the house either gets inherited or, or sold. That's when the bill become, comes due against their estate or against uh, whoever purchases their, you know, it gets, if they sell the house, they have to pay the taxes. Um, it, it just seems like a crazy thing because most of these bills would create such complexity in our local assessor's office to try and track this system that they're inventing to, to help seniors. And it's all about just being able to polish their apples and say, see, look what I did to help seniors when there's already a program that does exactly what they're doing. So it's like there are three different bills about just home, senior homesteads floating around the Capitol up there because that's actually four different bills because um, that's what, the, you know, folks want to polish their apples. Uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of different bills uh, that are dealing with lifting the, the property tax limits or trying to some way get around Measure 5, 47, and 50. Um, you know, so it's really, um, you know, pretty crazy what's going on in Salem. You know, I was just uh, sent a quick note that somebody was asking about whether motorcycles were included in that um, 20 year or older. I, I believe they were because it just said vehicles 20 years or older. So even if you had a vintage Triumph from the 40s or something, uh, you'd be paying that extra thousand bucks to register it in Oregon every five years. Uh, so, you know, it, it just seemed one of like one of the most insane, uh, silly bills that was put out there. But they're, you know, they're trying to erode, um, you know, our property tax protections. And people may forget why the whole property tax revolution happened in the 90s. You know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm approaching, uh, where I, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting mailings from uh, the uh, the senior groups trying to get me to join and all that stuff because I passed 55, and 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 closing on 60 really quickly right now. In fact, it'll be later this year. Um, so I remember the 90s uh, pretty well, and that was you know Proposition 13 in California, Measure 5 here in in Oregon, I forget the initiative number it was up in Washington state, but property taxes were chasing seniors out of their houses where it got to be the largest single expense they were having because in that, uh, you know, growing uh, economy of the nineties that was set up by the Reagan tax policies of the eighties, um, the values, the assessed values of housing were going up 10, 15% in a single year. At the same time, the agencies that were uh, assessing property taxes were raising their assessments to, to fund ever-growing budgets. And it was literally causing jumps in, in uh, folks' annual property taxes. And for some of these seniors that were living in paid-off houses, um, where they were going up as much as 100% in a single year. And you just, you know, you don't plan your retirement that way. And it was literally becoming a, a wealth tax, which is always a really difficult taxation system uh, because wealth taxes might be based on how much wealth you have, but it doesn't talk about your ability to pay and how liquid that wealth is. 
you know, somebody may own a home that's worth a significant amount of money. Think about some senior citizen that bought a 900 square foot bungalow in the San Francisco Bay Area. How about San Jose? We'll take that for instance. Way back in the 60s, held on to that house for their 30 years, paid off their mortgage somewhere in the 90s, and then the and then Silicon Valley happens, and um, you know it's just it goes absolutely bonkers, and your house becomes worth two million dollars, and I'm not exaggerating. There are 900 square foot bungalows that are worth that much in California. Your property taxes become absolutely confiscated. You know, your ability to pay those would only be if you sell the house you live in. And that's literally what's had to happen to a lot of seniors, where they've had to sell their, their the homes that they raised their kids in and they had Thanksgivings in for 40 and 50 years with their families purely to pay off their property taxes. Wealth taxes have nothing to do with the with ability to pay. You know, it's one of the worst taxation systems we have. And there are people up in Salem right now that think it's a good idea to tinker with the caps on that wealth tax system so that we can chase seniors and low-income folks out of their housing. And the other disconnect up in Salem is they don't understand Property taxes are built into the rents that low-income people pay. And there's such this huge thing up in Salem. They're all concerned about how the housing crisis is going crazy up in the Portland area. And people are being thrown out on the streets because their rents are increasing. And they're talking about having rent control and limits on no-cause evictions and all sorts of things to keep people from becoming unhoused and, and losing their housing and all that stuff. And they have no connection to the fact that if they raise the property taxes, they're adding to that problem, let alone how much rent control or the messing around with people's ability to evict a tenant will actually damage the housing market as far as construction of new rental housing in Oregon will do. You know, that came up uh, also in one of our um, our legislative committee where we actually endorsed bills. There was a bill that um, is going to actually lift the prohibition on rent control for local jurisdictions where each city or county could pass some form of rent control in their jurisdiction. Can you imagine what that will do to the multifamily construction in Oregon, what bank or investor in their right mind would loan money for a new apartment complex knowing that at any time the city or county that has jurisdiction there could pass some form of rent control limiting the ability to get return on investment for that that apartment building? It will it'll be like slapping an instant moratorium on apartment construction in the whole state of Oregon whether any a, any jurisdiction actually passes rent control, just the threat that they were able to will kill that housing market. Sure, it might you know suppress rent increases in the future or something, and maybe save a few families that couldn't afford the extra 
fifty, hundred, two hundred dollars a month in rent, but it will ultimately unhouse thousands as our population grows in Oregon and we have no new units being built. At the same time, in you know, when they did this in New York City, that's basically the impact it had, it stopped new construction. It also led to tenant abuse by landlords because the tenants knew that if they moved into a new unit in another complex, they would get the upgraded rent, you know, for an apartment. Whereas if they stayed in their existing apartment, they were under the rent control and they could keep their rent down. So the landlords knew that. So they stopped doing maintenance on apartments basically and let them run down and go to pot because one, they couldn't afford to invest because the rent control was holding down their income. And two, they knew that tenants were going to stick around because, in fact, they were kind of hoping to chase them out because then they could raise the rent for the next tenant because it would no longer be rent controlled in, until the new tenant got in there at the higher rate. But still, they would get a, a one-time chance to bump the rent. So you know, rent control is just one of those things that, that never really works. Um, and it's amazing how you know, the, 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 the majority caucus there, the Democrats in, in the legislature are so concerned about housing and homelessness and, and all those issues and can't understand that their efforts to raise property taxes and place rent control and eviction controls on the rental housing market are actually going to hurt the very people they want to help. They want to help those people. What they'll try and do is, is should they should try and pass laws that increase the ability of folks to build new housing, like making it easier to expand urban growth boundaries for housing, making it easier to build multifamily units, you know, removing some of the regulations on that, looking at where there are roadblocks to that construction, where the costs are. You know, they it's just you know, they, they don't they don't think that way. They they think about what can I do to control the situation with government instead of how can I get government out of the way of the situation and let it let it fix itself naturally. Um, and it's just uh, one of those things about being in Salem that can be a pretty frustrating thing up there uh, when you're having to deal with it on a daily basis uh, in in the governance committee and, and other things. You know, it's so frustrating. Um, you know, you see things there. You know, one of the things that goes on and, and has been pointed out recently is how much public employee unions contribute to um, some of our elected officials in Salem, and particularly the governor and the attorney general took hundreds of thousands of dollars from public employee unions. Um, the the Majority caucus took hundreds of thousands, um, and then they get these bills proposed on labor and employment, and some of them they're trying to put through uh, would require um, like collective bargaining to um, have mandatory binding arbitration involved uh, for for uh, bargaining units that are allowed to go on strike. You know, they have something similar to that for strike prohibited, uh, like police and firefighters that um, 
can't go on strike because of public safety reasons. That's why they have the binding arbitration in there. But they're trying to force that into, say, um, our ASME union, which is, you know, the the clerk that's staffing the building permit uh, counter, um, you know, that they, they, they get to get into binding arbitration. And it's just it, amazing how they, um, you know, work these bills into uh, the legislature. They, you know, they have a bill about um, changing schedules for employees. If you do it less than so many, um, like a week's notice or two weeks notice change in schedule, there's all sorts of additional compensation that goes on. It'd be nearly impossible for um, say our sheriff's department, if they get somebody that calls in sick and they need to put somebody um, on or put, you know, over, you know, extend somebody with overtime and bring somebody in early on the previous shift to cover that empty spot because we only have three deputies on at any one time. Um, and then they have to go into massive compensation for doing that is just incredibly um, damaging and, and a huge headache to, um, to administer. Um, and it's just these, they just keep putting one thing after another in there that, that makes the, the labor unions more and more powerful and uh, our ability as a county to control our cost um, less and less. Uh, and, you know, it's just you know, part of that, that cognitive dissonance up there in Salem where they don't get that some of the stuff they do creates the problems that they're complaining about. They don't have enough money yet they're giving away the store when it comes to collective bargaining law. You know, it's just, um, just amazing to me. Uh, some of the, what goes on up in Salem, they're, they're going through all sorts of gyrations about public records right now, because, you know, there's a considerate, you know, a lot of stuff about, um, transparency and all that. So almost all the public records, legislation comes through, it's aimed more at the local governments than it is the state government, and that's the one that's got the most complaints against it. There's something like 200 exclusions to public records disclosure, and about 190 of those only apply to state government. They keep writing themselves all these exclusions. They should look at that first before they start putting mandates against um, local governments about how quickly they have to respond and all that without giving us the money to manage that system. Uh, it's just amazing what they're trying to do even there, um, where they're not really understanding that the real complaint about public records is against the state. Um, but, you know, it's just, it, it's amazing how many, uh, uh, you know, of the, these things, they just disconnect themselves from reality. And it really comes from, you know, you know, Robin sent me a little quick note asking how many of these folks actually have owned a business or, or, or um, run a business or have experience in the private sector. It's pretty amazing <clears throat> when you look down the Republican caucus, it's pretty well at least half of them. <clears throat> and on the, the Democrat side, I would say most of them have spent their life either in government or came out of a, a, a union position um, or some kind of advocate, a nonprofit advocacy group. Um, 
there's you know a few of them that you know I will say you know um, uh, Senator Steiner Hayes is a doctor and, and has experience um, working in the in the public health profession. You know, there's some of them that 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 have some background that is somewhat public sector, but I wouldn't say um, I mean somewhat private sector, but not a lot um, in the majority. There, you know, you you run into them time and time again that they really haven't had any um, experience outside of of working in government agencies in one form or another. Uh, you know, I look at. Uh, Senator Arnie Roblin was a high school principal, so he worked through the school system all his, his career. Um, you know, uh, you look around, um, Representative Holvey worked for the Carpenters Union. Um, Senator Floyd Brzezanski is an attorney. His practice has mostly been working as a prosecutor for various cities um, and and uh, spent a little time in, in, as a D, as an assistant DA, um, but uh, does a little bit of defense work maybe. But he spends majority of his time being a state senator. Um, so you just you know you can go round and round and round and round about you know where some of these folks' backgrounds are, and, and that that that's where some of that cognitive dissonance comes from. And I. Yeah, you know, at times I, I feel like I get a little bit separated from the reality of where people are being around government all the time and, and getting having to do the amount of reading and getting into detail about the budget and understanding the complexities of our programs. It makes it easy to say to somebody, well, you just don't understand. And, and I always have to stop myself when I start to say that to a constituent that proposes some simple easy, quick fix to a hugely complex program, um, because it kind of makes it, it kind of, it's, it's a condescending thing to say, but sometimes a very truthful thing that there's always a lot more, um, you know, it's like an iceberg. You only see, you know, 10% of it above the water, um, you know, or a small percentage. Uh, government programs are quite often like that. You know, they're, they're, they're much more below the surface and, and actually, they all are, are interwoven between each other. It's probably more like the root system for fungus. Um, and it's probably a more apt comparison as being a fungus. Uh, you know, when you see a mushroom uh, poke above ground, that's just the fruiting part of the fungus. There's actually a, a bunch of mycelium in the soil that could spread for acres for that single mushroom. Um, and, and it's intertwined with who knows how many other mushrooms. Uh, that That's the way government programs kind of are, and, and thinking about how you're going to paint the mushroom a different color to fix it um, doesn't get at everything that's below the below the dirt. Um, and that's, that's uh, unfortunately kind of the way it works. Um, but, it, you know, you try and avoid your, your excess of knowledge getting you um, disconnected from the reality of looking at What's the basics of economics? You know, supply, demand, price, and those relationships. And, you know, whether you're trying to get into some of the, the 
minutia factions of what caused homelessness and you're trying to, you know, you're, you think because you're up out of Portland, i.e. Tina Kotek, and that's a real issue is how rents are just going up and up and up and they're so unaffordable, blah, blah, blah. And rent control and eviction control is the way you're going to solve it. And disconnecting yourself from the fact that that is going to limit the ability for the suppliers to control price. So they're going to stop putting new supply into the market and the demand still going up for that product. So it's going to artificially maybe hold down the price, but the supply is going to dry up and there's going to be a shortage. And that leads to people being unhoused. And just forgetting about the basic economics is is amazing how that happens in Salem. Uh, and I try every day to remind myself to, to try and reconnect and not, not say, well, it's complicated or you don't know the whole story or whatever it is I tell people. I'd rather start trying to explain all that background to them um, and, 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 and say, so do you think your solution will still work? Um, and then we can talk about things that might work or, or test some other theories. Um, but uh, hopefully I don't end up dis disconnected enough as the current Speaker of the House in Salem to think that putting in price controls is somehow or another going to fix a problem that's a supply side problem where there's not enough supply for a, a product that's in very high demand. Um, you know, it didn't work um, for gasoline. You know, it, you know, when they tried to do that, um, I remember standing in lines on odd and even days on the East Coast waiting to try and fill my tank with my limited amount I was allowed to purchase um, and hoping I could make it to the next time I could stand in line. <clears throat> you get the old Soviet Union when you start trying to control prices. Um, and, uh, you know, New York City showed us that rent control does not work. Chicago showed us rent control does not work. Why in the world Oregon thinks it's smart enough to put in rent control and make it work? I have no idea. Ah, yes, you can tell I'm a little fired up about Salem this week on the Bo's Nose Show. And it is a free-for-all show, so anytime you want to get in on the conversation, you can just dial 646-721-9887 in the waning moments of my show. And just press 1 to get in on the conversation. We'll try and get you right on here because we only got about five minutes left in the show. Um, again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press one if you want to join in on the conversation. And if you're listening on the phone, anytime you want to get in on the conversation, you can press one also. Because I know there are some people that call in to listen. Um, and that's just one of the ways you can ask a question of, of me, Jay Bozovich. I am your West Lane County Commissioner here in Lane County, Oregon. Uh, we are the fourth largest county by population in our state. Uh, one of the larger counties by area and we are kind of a miniature Oregon where we go from the high Cascades down to the coast in Florence. Uh, we as a we, we go from sea, sea to ski here in Lane County and um, pretty uh, broad variety of urban uh, issues in downtown Eugene with homeless folks and travelers and all that stuff to uh, the rural economic uh, realities of the Spotted Owl and 
the epidemic of methamphetamine in our rural communities. Uh, we've got it all. We're a miniature Oregon here. We got every all the same problems with federal land uh, policies uh, that Harney County has, and all the downtown homelessness problems that Portland has. So. We are Oregon in miniature, and we may be the same as some other state that, that you might be listening in from. So you can give me a quick call here at Bo's No Show, and we'll talk about what you want to talk about. But if you don't want to talk about that, I might just keep ranting about state policy because it's just on my mind right now. And this whole idea of rent control is just hugely on my mind because it's amazing. I, I know smart people. And, and I even know a couple smart Republicans that think it might not be a bad idea because they're concerned about the person that can't afford the $100 rent increase. And it's great to have that compassion for that immediate problem of, of a few families that might lose their, their uh, ability to house themselves because of increasing rents, but it's a very short-sighted viewpoint. You know, we really have to look at, at what rent control really does, which it will limit the investment in new rental housing, which means you are going to limit the future supply growth. And the real way you get out of ever increasing rents, and we saw this, you know, this happen with the single family market. How, how do we get out of the, the rising prices that were happening in 2006 and 2007 in the uh, real estate market. We overbuilt the real estate market eventually and got enough supply in there that it actually even crashed because there was actually overinvestment in it. And there was quite a reset. And by 2009, prices had pretty much dropped down. And, uh, you know, that was impacted in the rental market in some ways. Uh, you know, if we don't allow prices to climb, there won't be the incentive to invest in new um New housing, so you you got it. You got to get there somehow or another, and uh, it's just you know it might be tough in the short run, uh, and it, and it's a little bit of tough love that there may be some people that do lose their housing in the short run to the run up in in, in rental pricing, but it would be extremely short sighted to get of rental pricing and uh, really harm those folks that are living on the edge in the long run because it won't stop the, the steady increase in their cost of their housing. And it will actually uh, incentivize um, disinvestment in maintenance and disinvestment in providing amenities. And there are other ways that, that, that landlords will start looking at trying to get money, increase deposits and everything else. Um, so just a bad direction for the state to go into the rent control business. So this has been the Bo's Nose Show here for uh, Wednesday, February 15th. Hope everybody had a great Valentine's Day yesterday. I enjoyed my Valentine's Day with my wife, Elizabeth. Uh, and I hope everybody will have a great week coming up. We'll talk to you next week on the Bo's Nose Show. When we come to you again live from here in beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. We'll talk to you next week. And that's it tonight from the Bozo Show. Have a great evening.